0: Good to see you if you're new here. My name's Joel and uh, we have teaching from the Bible here at Emmanuel every Sunday. We're going through the Apostles' Creed during this autumn term and we've got up to the statement, I believe in the church. I believe in the church. And uh, this is something that we'll talk a little bit more about, by the way, on Tuesday lunchtime. If you would like to join us online, Um, Sometimes these messages stimulate questions and and thoughts and um, desire for discussion and some of you might want to know a bit more and think it through a bit more and you might have some questions and some some ideas. We're going to do some Facebook Live Tuesday 12.30, live lunch as we're calling it and we'll probably start releasing this as a podcast and some YouTube and, and Instagram and all the rest. So join us for a new thing at Emmanuel. Uh, on Tuesdays, and uh, hopefully you can get it downloaded later in the week if you if you miss that, um, so it will help us to go further investigating the teaching of of the Bible so to help us with this i 'm going to be reading to you from Galatians chapter five um, and verse thirteen Galatians five and verse thirteen this is paul 's letter to the churches in Galatia. It says this: "For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters only Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Let's just pray together. God, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. And we thank you also for your kind gift of your Holy Spirit who is with us now to bring us into the truth. And we thank you for these words of the Bible that are given to to teach us concerning Jesus to lead us towards Jesus and to help us to know who he is and what he's done and we pray that as we consider this this whole subject of who Jesus is and what his people are uh, what his people are called to be and what his people are destined to be that you would stir us you would grow our perspective you would cause us to be uh, filled with confidence about your plans for your creation and your plans for our lives, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When we talk about faith, uh, we have, I guess, various definitions. Some are helpful, some are not, some are right, some are frankly wrong. The Bible occasionally defines faith. One place it talks about faith as the assurance of things uh, not seen, Uh, being confident in things that you cannot some things that you cannot see it doesn't mean that they're not real it means that you've become persuaded of their reality even though you can't right now see them with your physical eyes um, we believe that Jesus is risen from the dead not because we were there literally on Easter Sunday but because it is reasonable to believe it and uh, though we can't see him physically with these eyes uh, we believe in his resurrection if, if we're Christians and uh, that's a helpful definition of faith. It's it's confidence and trust in things that you might not right now be able to see. So when we say, I believe in the church, what on earth are we saying? Because presumably most of us can see the church, or at least something that represents the church. It's, it's worth pointing out at the outset when we talk about the church in, in the creed. We, we aren't talking about the building in which we meet um, we're talking about the people who meet inside the building or, or usually people who meet people who are gathered the people who belong to Jesus Christ when my oldest son was, was quite young I remember him asking me um, what, what, what do we build the church out of uh, what, what is it that we use to build the church? And I gave him the right answer. I said, "We we use people. That's that's the answer. We build the church out of people." And he sounded satisfied with that answer until you know what kids are like. He sort of listened and absorbed it. And I thought, good. He got some good theology there. About a minute later, after some silence, he said, "What do we build the roof out of them?" Which slightly scared me. I thought, well, he, for at least a minute, he's assumed that we physically made the walls out of dead flesh, um, which isn't true. So don't be worried. But we we do we do see nevertheless if it's not the body sorry the building literally we see people we physically see and so why why would we need faith why would we say it as some great claim of of I believe in the church well so do I if I can see there it is that's not that's not the point of this statement of the creed Uh, it's something that does require faith actually. It's something that does require a a sort of spiritual, even supernatural confidence from us to to be able to say, no, I believe in the church. Actually, what we're believing in, you could say, is its future. We're believing in its future. We believe it has a good (laughs) and abiding future. It will last, it will prevail, and it's a good thing too. Now that takes faith, because for most of us in Brighton, that's not how we see the church. Uh, In fact, many of us in Brighton and Shoreham, and and, uh, others of you perhaps watching this in, in other locations, the idea that the church will prevail is not a positive idea at all. In fact, it may be that the church is the reason that we don't believe the rest of the creed. I would believe in God. I would believe in Jesus if I could believe in the church. but the church is the thing that puts me off. That's been the statement of many people, um, I guess particularly in more recent you know more recent history and and for others as well who are a a kind of growing contingent, I suppose there are those who would say, I actually do believe the creed. I I believe in Christianity. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Virgin. I believe in all of it, the resurrection, everything. But I don't believe in the church. I guess about 50 years ago, the, the very frequent common experience or common uh, trend was people who were churchgoers who sort of believed in the church they they frequented the church regularly they they saw it as their duty to go to church and they thought I should go to church it's the right thing to do they didn't believe in Jesus but they would go to church and that's gonna still be the case now a little bit there will be nominal churchgoers in the UK but that's a shrinking, shrinking to almost non-existence. These days, it's the other way around. I think there's there's a lot of people who are actually believers in Jesus, or so they think. They would claim to be believers in Jesus, but they won't do church. They, they would kind of see themselves as their own church. They would perhaps try and try and do some kind of Christianity solo, some kind of just. It's it's very very uh, easy to do that these days by the way perhaps that's one of the reasons it's more typical it's growing because you can do this you can you can do it really well you can have church in your kitchen all you need is a laptop that's all you need you just need podcasts of the best preachers in the world and thanks to technology you can get them you can get the best preacher on the planet whoever that person might be fed into your device right now (laughs) if you want to you could on your phone right now you could just shoot you could just appropriately nod while I'm talking uh, but actually be listening to, to someone else uh, and you can pipe I don't know fantastic worship albums and you could you could have church in your sofa um, and some of you are thinking dang what am I doing here uh, so I've just put a brilliant idea in your heads because it's, it's possible right and 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 you can do the Christian thing is me and Jesus thing more and more successfully and effectively but that's not church that just isn't and uh, I guess instinctively we ought to just know that We, we ought to intuitively just agree there's something quite wrong about that even though it's more and more attractive and appealing for us and it's appealing partly because yeah it's it's less demanding on me if i get to fit my christian life around me and my consumer needs and my preferences and my favorite this and favorite that and everything's piped in according to exactly what my sort of internet marketing profile is then that definitely appeals but i'm 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 probably feeding a certain beast that i don't really want to feed what, what is that beast? Well, I suppose for us, kind of 21st century Britonian types, we, we struggle with Christianity for a few reasons for sure. When Jesus comes into your life, you're going to get humbled double, at least double, but definitely double. There are, there are two ways that Jesus entering your life humbles us. I mean, first of all, just the fact that we end up not being what it's all about. We, we find out from, from the start with Christianity, or pretty near the start at least, that it's not all about me, it's not all about the individual. It's, 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 I, I am not the hero of this story. I, I may have grown up, and I think more, more often than not, perhaps more often than we dare to admit, we have grown up in a culture where the, the oxygen we breathe, the water we swim in, is one of it. it it's it, life is about you fulfilling your unique, extraordinary potential. You, you reaching the zenith of all that you could be. That's the story. That's the narrative. That's that's what it's all for. It's all about you fulfilling your potential and being great. And and I suppose there may have been times in history where that kind of idea has flourished, but none like it does now. None like it does now. It's a massive religion now, the religion of the self. And it it just seems to pervade through so many channels of, of life. So much so that when we get introduced to Christianity, we're a bit stunned, we're a bit kind of sort of Awkward about the fact that yeah the the whole story isn't primarily about me and my my desire to to meet to reach my goal even my desire to fix this issue to 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 make myself great that it it doesn't immediately get fulfilled when I come to Jesus. Jesus seems to have a different preoccupation. He seems to think that my biggest problem is not that I am not great enough. That's, that's, I, that is hard for us moderns to handle, right? To, that, that we meet a saviour of the world who doesn't agree with us about what our problem is. He doesn't agree with us about what we need saving from. And I, I know I need saving because I need to be great. And I need someone to help me, coach me, boost me, get me to the point where I'm great. And Jesus says that's not really your big problem you've got bigger problems than that actually and I'm going to help you with those bigger problems and my solution for you will be better than the solution that you want my my salvation, my rescuing for you is going to introduce you to something so much greater like, I imagine a kid coming to uh, to his mum or dad and saying I've, fix, I've broken. I've punctured my tire on my bike. Fix my tire, please. Can you help me with this tire? Please help me with this tire. And gets kind of obsessive and focused on fixing this issue, and the parent's response is saying, "Actually, I'm giving you a new bike, a better bike, a ten times better bike. It's got. It's it's amazing. This bike, and I bought it for you. And here it is, and kind of you know shows the, the kid everything about. It. Gets you know, rides it around. Get, get, it's it is an amazing bike. It's the best bike you can get." But after all the, the presentation and the showing of this, but the kids' response is still, Can you fix my puncture though? And, and the reality is, many of us are like that. We, Jesus comes into our life, or, or <coughs> offers to come into our life. And sometimes there are people, some of us, who can't make the, the, the transition into seeing, seeing the world and our lives enough through his eyesight. We, we, we walk away sad because we think, well, Jesus didn't fix my problem. Jesus didn't fix my puncture. Jesus, Jesus came to do much better than that. And you need the kind of eyesight that he gives to see what the problem really is and to see the, the greatness of his solution. The message of this book, if you're looking for a book to say how you can be a better you, you'll find this book very disappointing. Because the message of this book is never about that. The message of the book is, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's it. The message of the book is, look at Jesus. And the person that sees Jesus, (laughs) they're kind of just, just too preoccupied with him to even remember the puncture on the bike. To even remember the fact they wanted to be great. They wanted to have a spectacular career or 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 uh, meaning for their life, some kind of moment where they prove themselves to their parents or their teachers or their friends, or some point where they they sort of strike such a note and everybody is amazed at them. They've kind of got past that, and and for many of us, that's that's too big a stumbling block to overcome because. We're not really interested in a world that isn't about me. I tell you there's something, there's there's a meaning, there's a basis, there's a point of history that's greater, so much greater than just us. And and we need to uh, see reality through that lens before we can even understand the benefits and the wonders and the goodness of Jesus. But here's the thing, having humbled us once already by taking us off the sort of central position of the universe, Christianity, the message of Jesus, humbles us again. <laughs> because I could sort of handle the idea of, yeah, okay, I, I get it. The, the future is me and Jesus. Brilliant. I don't mind that. I think I get that. I'm excited about it. I like Jesus. Jesus is good. So presumably it's like a kind of a buddy cop movie where it's him And me, me and Jesus. All right, Jesus and me, not me and Jesus. He can be first. He can be Batman. I can be Robin. He, you know, as long as as long as it's me and him, I'm cool. And then Jesus turns to us and says, "Yeah, it's still not right because it isn't actually me and Jesus. Jesus and me. It's Jesus and us. It's Jesus and us. And what I'm therefore going to find my destiny and fulfillment in." Is as part of something bigger than me. Bigger than me. Bigger even than just me and him. I, I've, I've got to find my way into a, a view of, 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 of reality where it isn't just about me. It isn't even just about me and him. It's about him and us. There's a, a Kenyan uh, writer called John Beatty who said that uh, I am. Because we are, and since we are, therefore I am. It would take an African to think like that, I think. Most Europeans, that's not the way round we put it. But that's more Bible. The, the, the way that Jesus, the way that these, this book, the way the Holy Spirit wants us to see it is to understand the centrality of Church it's humbling, to it's a stumbling block, it's a tricky one for us and at first it might, it might stroke us up the wrong way it might make us feel offended and for many people it's, enough, it's too offensive it means that we try and just have a Christian life that's entirely fit around our personal agenda but when we do that we may, we may kid ourselves that it's more comfortable for us honestly we're ultimately being less human we're being less true to how we're actually made because we're not made for isolation. <coughs> we often feel like we are, but it's not the truth about us. And I guess there's all kinds of reasons for why we're, we're nervous about being drawn into something bigger than ourselves, even what we're remembering this Sunday. You know, a hundred years ago, we celebrated on this very day the end of what was at that point surely the most appalling global conflict there'd ever been. Millions of lives lost, you could say, because they, as, as young, men, boys, boys, effectively, conscripted into national armies where it wasn't about me, it's about the big cause, the nation needs me, my country needs me, and so I sign up. Without even knowing quite what it's for, who we're fighting, why we're fighting them. What's so evil about them? What's so good about us? None of these questions were even given a chance. And young, young men were sent in their waves of thousands against machine guns that they had no hope of approaching without death. And... And the ones who were called conscientious objectors, people who, who, who did ask questions and struggled, couldn't come to a place where in their conscience they felt happy to fight, were often victimized, persecuted, vilified by society. Because why? Because they had their own opinion, because they thought, I don't fit in with this, this big story. I am my own leader. I won't have this, this nation tell me who I am and what I'm supposed to do. And in a hundred years, maybe we've come so far, we've kind of come the other way, to the point where we are so profoundly suspicious of any agenda other than just the individual. The personal autonomy rules. It's the God that I have to satisfy before I'll come on board with anything. It's gotta be, it's gotta be about the individual. Because who wants to go back to a World War I kind of world? I guess I can understand that reaction, but I wonder if we've just Overreacted, And even our technology now gives us every opportunity and every excuse to build our lives, build our reality, build our day, our week, our month, our year, our, our future, our everything around personal preference, around personal convenience, around personal agenda. We may not realize quite what has happened to us in our quest for personal freedom. I want to be free. I don't want to be part of something bigger than me. I don't want to be drawn in and many, even Christians. People who say, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. I don't want to be part of the church. I don't want to be committed to the church. The whole idea of commitment is scary. And so you see it worked out. You see it worked out in fear about marriage and statistics on divorce and the disintegration of family as well. But the church massively suffers because of this, this kind of instinct, this kind of pathology that is in our society. I must have my individual autonomy protected. I cannot serve something bigger than me. I want to ask you to question that. Do you have that in you? Is that in your soul? Is that reaction instinctive to you? Where does it come from? Have you thought about where it comes from? Have you thought about whether it's even true? Have you even thought about whether you know what freedom is? We tend to assume we know what freedom is. We, we we love freedom. Freedom's good, right? Freedom's good. It's just good. It just is a good. Freedom. It's just an unquestioned good. And we love freedom. We sing songs about freedom. We we, we you know from, from the big ballads to the, the dancey songs and we have movies about freedom. And you know, we, we, we know what freedom is. <coughs> the Bible would suggest to us we might not know what freedom is. When you see someone actually truly free, what do you have in mind? What's the kind of image? Some of us would think, well, what about a musician that has trained at their skill, their craft to the point where when they play, they are absolutely free. They are soaring. They are just aloft. A great great concert pianist would be like that. But you and I know that the reason they have that freedom (laughs) is at least partly because of years of constraint practicing scales for hour after hour after hour, day after day, to the point where perhaps some of their friends would have even accused them of being non-free. Why don't you ever come out? Why don't you ever do life with us? Why don't you let your hair down? Why don't you put your feet up? You're not free. You're chained. And then years later, they realize who's free. This is paradoxical. Let's be honest. We, we don't necessarily know what makes freedom as much as we might have thought. What makes you free? Well, let's, let's be humble before we assume that being devoted to God and his purpose and his people will lead us to bondage. Maybe. Maybe it leads you to better freedom than you've ever known. How do you know? We often assume that we know more about what makes us happy. There's the, the character of Satan in Milton's poem, Paradise Lost, who has that, that famous line, better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. Better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. I suppose the 21st century version might be, better to A-list in hell than E-list in heaven. I'd rather be the star, even if it means hell. And that's, that's the cry of the selfish heart. I, I'd rather have hell. Because it's on my terms. That's what, that's what C.S. Lewis meant when he said that in the end, eternity is, is divided into those people who say to God, Your will be done, and those to whom God says, Your will be done. This is the issue in the end. So, have, have I understood where, where I get real freedom from? Who is the most free person that ever lived? Who is the freest? Who could define freedom? Who could help us to know what's real freedom? The truest, most free person is Jesus. According to the Bible, how do I know that? Well, first of all, he chose to be born. And have you done that? None of us know what that's like. None of us you know, gave our parents permission. No, nobody was involved. No one signed a deal. Nothing went on like that for us. We were just thrown into this world, it seems. It seems irrespective of our intention and our wishes, we were born. Jesus chose to be born. He chose to die. He said so. None of us choose to die. We haven't got the option. We might think we have, but we're not choosing to die. We sometimes choose the manner of it. People choose to die now through assisted suicide or through you know, garden variety suicide. But they're not choosing to die, they're just choosing when. You can't actually choose to die. We don't get the choice. Jesus did. He says so in, in, in John's Gospel. He makes it explicit where he, he says publicly, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus has authority over death. What does he do with his freedom? How does he use his freedom? He's got, the, he's got the authority to define freedom for planet Earth. Just as he's defined wisdom. Just as he's defined power. Just as he's defined glory. We need to know what these things are. We think we know what power is because we have atomic bombs. Because, you know, because we have uh, armies. We know what power is. We think we have wisdom. We know what wisdom is we've got universities. We've got documentaries. We've got smartphones. We know what wisdom is. Jesus, the son of God, comes into us and says, I'll show you what power is. I'll show you what wisdom is. I'll show you what freedom is. What does it look like in the life of Jesus to be free? He lays his life down for the church. That's freedom. That's freedom. He chose to. He didn't have to. He says, says, no one takes it from me. I've got authority. He didn't have to. No one was forcing him. No one had his arm up. You better die for the church. You better go to the cross. All right, I will. No, 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 no. Utter freedom. No pressure. No. No No one's saying, let's put your name on the rotor as well. You ought to be involved. Everyone ought to help. Everyone ought to do their bit. Come on, Jesus. You better serve too. Oh, yeah, I suppose so. I suppose I better. Otherwise, people in the church might think I'm not very helpful. Total freedom. What does he do with his freedom? Out of complete freedom, he lays his life down. Why? Because he wants to be less free. No, freedom's good. Here's the thing, true freedom is not just abandonment to totally selfish agenda. True freedom is fulfilled in an everlasting eternal community that God is constructing right now on planet Earth called the church. That's actual freedom. The real freedom that God wants for us isn't found in our personal agenda It's found in God's agenda. So if you you think, how does this work itself out? You get places like earlier in the New Testament, just the page before I read from you in Ephesians is Galatians, (coughs) where in chapter 5, Paul says, You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. That's an interesting verse. If you stop and think about it, he's saying the whole point of what Jesus has done in your life is to give you freedom, true freedom. Jesus has come to set you free, free from your guilt, free from the past, free from shame, free from the oppression of the law, free from being condemned, free, free from the power of sin, freedom free from people who try and fix you by making you feel obliged to them the Bible says no you're free from them free from Pharisees who love to accuse you free from accusing judgmental religious people the Bible says if you know Jesus you're free from those people in a nice way you can tell them to get stuffed in a nice way because because you're free you're free from judgmentalism you're free from that kind of false authority But Paul says, that freedom, how does it get properly worked out? How does it get fulfilled? It gets worked out through love serving one another. Now, the word serve, it suggests going back into slavery, doesn't it? That's what a servant is, someone who's doing stuff for other people. Paul's, Paul's deliberately putting these words together to make us think. It's in the same verse, he's saying, you're called to freedom. Now celebrate your freedom by being slaves. What? What is he saying? He's saying that the truly free person is Jesus. What did Jesus do? He came and laid his life down <laughs> for the church. He loved his church. He loved the people he'd come to redeem. He loved them to the point of laying his life down for them and in that way truly fulfilled freedom, showed freedom to the world because actually his freedom is at the service of something even greater and that is love, the kind of love that exists in the church particularly. Particularly, Jesus is determined to create a community on planet Earth who are set apart by their incessant determined, committed love for one another. That's why he keeps saying it. You may remember in the Gospels, Jesus saying, this is my commandment, that you love one another. This this is my commandment. A new commandment I give to you, he says, love one another. It's just so... So high on his agenda. And as you go through the New Testament, the pages of the Bible, you keep seeing this theme coming back, back, back. Paul keeps saying the whole law is fulfilled in this. Love one another. Love one another. This is the point. This is what God wants. He wants a people who say it isn't actually just about me. It's about us. It's about the community. God wants this so much. God himself came to us to build it. God himself became one of us to build it. God himself took on our curse and our sin to build it. God was crucified and buried and raised in order to build it. He's that focused, that determined to get this goal of a people, a community that are utterly distinct. This helps us to know what real freedom is. And it helps us to see why the church is such a special thing in god's plan see if i'm if i'm supposed to be in a community of people made up of those who are different than me the church is like that right the church is 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 deliberately crafted made up of people who are different who are distinct who are diverse it's 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 where the common denominator isn't everyone is of my type everyone fits with my this is you know it's not my club it's his club it's his community it's those that he's drawn so the thing i might have in common with you in this church it may be only jesus that may be the only thing we have in common maybe it may be that in so many ways we're different and what's god doing there he's he's bring he's showing how Glorious he is. He's showing how wise he is. He's showing how he can bring together people he, like nobody else can. He's creating, he's generating something impossible, it seems. But if I'm to be a part of that and truly flourish as part of that, I'm gonna have to learn what real freedom is. I'm gonna have to learn what real love is. I'm gonna have to learn to say to say willingly, it's it's okay that this doesn't meet all my personal preferential needs. It's okay. It's, it's, that's not the main thing. The main thing is what he's doing. So I'll, I'll, be, I'll, serve. I'll serve. I'll serve freely. I'll serve joyfully because I've, I've noticed watching Jesus what leads to joy, what leads to true freedom. I'm saying this and laboring the point and this whole message is basically about church and freedom because I, I know that for 21st century Brightonian people, this is the problem we have with church. I can say I believe in everything else in the creed, but still, when it comes to really believing in the church, I'm nervous. I'm awkward. Because, yeah, I love Jesus. And many people, they'll, they'll, they'll pick on a lot of the, the problems, the failings of the church, quite rightly. They'll, they'll, be, they'll be accurate. They'll see some of the miserable, awful skeletons in the church's closet. They'll, they'll notice stuff that's wrong. Well, I don't like the church. I love Jesus, I don't love the church. But Here's the thing, that though, though there are definite failings and abuses and things that are so awful and the church needs to be humble about and repent of frequently, Jesus himself has way more reason than you do to be offended by the church, and he still laid his life down for her. So, who are you to say, the church is not good enough for me? Who do you think you are? Be real, be honest. Who do you think you are? If if Jesus is willing to love her in her shame and her mess and her failure, what are you saying? What are you saying about yourself? What are you saying about Jesus? What are you saying about his bride? We don't get that option really. I think in the end, that kind of, that kind of objection can really be a disguise for a deeper problem that we've individually got. Where, like classic 21st century postmodern people, we're just nervous of commitment. Isn't that true? just don't want to be part of something bigger than me I don't want to have other people watching my life that's why so many people they come to Jesus with tears and they're so excited about Jesus Jesus and they love the bits in the Bible about Jesus and they're so excited about knowing Jesus and how kind and forgiving and gracious and merciful and how good he's been to me and he's dealt with my past and all these wonderful things and you go through church life for a few weeks and months very happy and then you do something and someone in the church says I wonder if that would be a Thing you shouldn't do stop doing that don't do that and suddenly all our love and delight and joy has been thrown out the window because I didn't realise that people were allowed to speak to me I didn't know that there were other Christians that I had to share my life with I didn't know that, that God wanted me to do life alongside people I like him I just these people I just I would like you I just don't want them Jesus would say to you, you can't really have me without them. You can't. And Some of you, you're literally watching this at home because you've been scared of commitment to church. And you're submitting to the God of this age. You need to stop worshipping it. It's a false God. This God of individualism, self-autonomy, pride, just take it off the altar. Deal with it. Humble yourself. Come to Christ. Not so that you can be smashed, squashed, conformed into bondage. How dare you be an individual? Come and join the church like the rest of us and conform. The true individual that you're called to be will be found in obedience to him as part of his people. Because in the the church community, you can be your actual self. You don't have to be your Facebook self. You don't have to be the person you present that you want everyone to think you are. Jesus wants to build a community where you're able to be who you really are. And you're actually able to build the best kind of family. Family in the best possible sense of the word. Where there's an openness and a willingness and a warmth. But my friend, we get there on the other side of the plunge we get there on the other side of trust we get there on the other side of serving and devoting and dying to self if I, if I look for the church that always pleases me that always meets my needs and always makes me feel great I will forever be looking but if I, if I come into God's people with an attitude of my master laid his life down for these people and he, he is my master, and he's given me everything I need. And I can trust him, and he loves me. This means I'm, I'm able to trust him about the church. And actually, I'm not going to be truly human, truly safe, truly joyful, truly free, except as part of this community. You know, Roman soldiers used to have shields that were specially designed so that when they went into battle, they covered two-thirds of their own body and a third of the soldier to their side. You simply weren't safe unless you were with other people. You covered yourself a bit, but you needed someone to cover the other third of you. They designed it that way. Why? Because they knew they wanted armies, not just soldiers. You're not safe unless your shield is locked in with someone else's. You're not safe unless you're, you're truly caught up in community with God's people. Unless there are people who are in your life asking you questions you don't want to always ask. Praying with you about the things that are really struggling you, really, really matter to you at the moment noticing things that you need prayer for that you might not even notice yourself being there when you need to reach out and serve and love other people counting on you expecting you to show up on time ready to serve if there's nowhere in life where, nowhere in God's purpose nowhere in the church where you count right now I invite you into true freedom true humanity to truly knowing God some of you, you've never thought of church like that at all. Some of you don't know Jesus yet. And the thing that you need to do actually is to see him as the as the one who's come for you, the one who is the hero, the one who's the rescuer, the one who comes to save you from, from a small world, a small life, and lift you up to his purpose and his better, better plan for you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your kindness in giving us Lord, your plan, your purpose for the world, the Church of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would help us, Lord, to to, Lord, to build our lives your way. Help us to be humble and soft-hearted as you shape us and put us into what you're constructing. Help us to find our true calling and destiny and flourish as we help to help to prepare a bride that lasts for eternity in Jesus name amen